0: I have had the experience many times in group building, bonding moments of doing trust falls. Everybody, anybody here done a trust fall before? Okay. Um, it's really a, a simple concept. You can do them in a variety of ways, right? You can kind of stand and lean back and somebody behind you catches you. Or there's like the next level where you go up on a little platform and a group of people stand behind you and you fall back and they catch you. Uh, re- really kind of a neat, actually, it is a fun experience. If you've not done it, it's pretty fun. Anyway, I, I have a, a little video I want to share with you that kind of puts that in perspective of a, a group bonding experience around trust falls. Would you play that for me?
1: Fall, and we're just, it'll be an exercise in building trust uh, between one and another. So Harrison, if you don't mind going first, uh, step up here on this chair and close your eyes.
0: Alright, and then everybody fill in, and we're going to ask you to fall, and then they will catch you, so you have to trust us,
1: so I'm going to count to three, just relax, fall, okay, one, two, three, no, way! no, no, (laughs)
0: so good. i got to say, I showed that in 2016, so every like eight years, I'm going to bring that one back. (laughs) Um, So good. Okay. Uh, I want to think uh, today a little bit about uh, what happens when we fall away um, from the direction we're supposed to fall. What happens when we fall away from God? Uh, That's really what's happening in this story. This is a story of Jesus' hometown falling away from Him. Uh, And so, um, as we get into this, um, I want to come back to this idea that Jesus said in chapter 3, anyone who does the will of my Father in heaven is my mother and brother and sister. That that what Jesus is inviting us into is this adventure where we say to Him, your will be done, Um, but sometimes we don't. Sometimes we say, my will be done. Uh, And in those my will be done moments, that's when we are really falling away from God. Uh, and, and I want to suggest that there are uh, in this story um, really three big moments uh, in the falling away process that Jesus' hometown goes through uh, when He visits. So uh, the, the first big moment uh, of, of falling away is um, asking bad questions. So raise your hand if you've ever been in a class where the teacher said there are no bad questions. Raise your hand. Anybody ever been there? Okay. Anybody ever said there are no bad questions? I have said this many, many times. Okay. When we say there are no bad questions, what we mean is there are no bad questions when you are seeking understanding. Right? If you are seeking understanding, any question you ask is a good question because it gets you closer to understanding. But there are bad questions. Bad questions are questions that avoid Understanding. Oh, I know that you want to talk about um, this really important thing related to the Bible, but can we also answer this question I have about the Packer game last weekend? Right now, I love you, but that's a bad question. Right? Um, We—if we, it avoids understanding, um, it's a bad question. Uh, I want you to notice the questions that the crowds ask about Jesus, because they start out good and they go bad where did this man get all this? What is the wisdom that has been given to him? What deeds of power are being done by his hands? Hey, these are good, right? They're saying, hey, this Jesus guy, he's amazing, right? I mean, he's, he's wise, and he's a great teacher, and he's engaging, and he's done, apparently in Nazareth, he's done some miracles already, but we also know he's kind of become famous for doing miracles all over the place. <laughs> these are good questions, but then we start going off the rails. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simeon, and are not His sisters here with us? See, uh, I think the crowds move from being interested in the deep questions to um, these superficial ones. I think the crowds want to avoid where those deep questions might take them. This thing that Jesus is doing, this teaching and these miracles, these could change our lives. And if we don't want them to change our lives, let's change the conversation. Let's just change the conversation. Let's just ask some bad questions. I think we do this more often than we would like to admit I think there are many times in our lives where we recognize that something might change our lives, and so instead of going down that path, we just change the conversation. I have a friend. um, She was uh, an addict and dealt with a variety of of drug addictions over the course of her life, and like many people who struggle with addiction, she was kind of on again, off again with sobriety, Uh, and um, and, in her most recent struggle… Um, she had been uh, sober for a really long time, and then kind of fell off the wagon. And as people around her said, "Hey, we're really concerned about you, and we really think that this path is deadly dangerous for you. We want to bring you back to where you've been." Um, she kept changing the conversation. Uh, at, at one point, um, she and I were talking, and I said, "Hey, you know, I I will do whatever it takes to get you." help. Like if it's, if it's you need know, sober living center, I'll get you in. If it's, you need a place to detox, I'll make it happen. You know, what, whatever you need to get help, we'll do it. And she said, yeah, but you know what I really need? What I really need is a car. I said, what, what do you mean you need a car? She said, well, if I had a car and then I could, you know, get to job interviews and I could hold down an apartment and, and I wouldn't have to stay with these people and I could get out of bad situations and I, I, could, I could sleep in my car if I didn't want to sleep in someone's house. And if I had a car, it would solve all my problems. And I said, I don't think that's true. I think your problem is related to the addiction. I think we need to get you sober. We need to get you clean. Um, but she kept coming back again and again. No, I like the solution is a car. How do I get a car? How do I get a car? And what she was doing was she was asking bad questions right, to change the conversation, to avoid changing her life. We do this all the time. Uh, we do this, um, we, we know, for example, uh, that social media, and especially excessive social media use, is directly linked to uh, loneliness and depression and anxiety and uh, higher rates of, of suicide and self-harm. And we know this, and yet we say to ourselves, yeah, but I can't scale back because what if I miss out? What, what if I miss the connections that I have through all of my social media stuff? That's not the right question, right? <laughs> the, the, the reality is it's not making us connected, it's making us more isolated. And we say, yeah, but I just want to change the conversation because I don't want to change my life yet. I'm not ready to cut that out of my life yet. I just want to keep going to Facebook and hoping that maybe the next time it'll make me feel better instead of worse. Maybe the next time I'll see somebody else's life and think, wow, their life isn't picture perfect online. And so we just keep going back and going back and we're shocked that we ask the wrong questions and we don't get better. Uh, we do this with what we buy. We do this with uh, just just. Issue after issue in our life, um, Henry Cloud, one of my favorite leadership speakers, has uh, done a thing I've shared with you before. He talks about the wise man and the fool, and he says, uh, the wise man is one, in, in the Bible, the wise man is one who sees the light and adjusts his life to the light. And the fool is one who sees the light and adjusts the light to his life. He says, ah, uh, I see the truth, and I will change it to fit what I already want to believe. This is what the crowds are doing in Nazareth. It's what we are so interested in doing so often in our lives. We ask bad questions to keep Jesus at a distance, to change the conversation and avoid changing our lives. That's the first thing that goes wrong in this story. Uh, the next thing that goes wrong in this story um, happens immediately after it. We're told um, that after they ask all these questions, is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Simon and Judas and are not His sisters here with us. Then it says, and they took offense at Him. They took offense at Him. Uh, the Greek word is, uh, they were scandalized by Him. He's a scandal. Right? This is a really interesting moment um, because it seems like this could go a different way. I mean, it seems like maybe Jesus could go to His hometown and these people that doubted him, and maybe even his family that was wandering around thinking, maybe Jesus, you shouldn't be doing this, maybe when he came to their hometown and he preached there and he did miracles there, they'd say, oh, wow, we get it. Like, now we get it, Jesus. We want to be your biggest supporters. But instead, they are scandalized by him. They're offended by him. This man is too ordinary to be a prophet and speaking like this. We know, his, we know his mom. We know his brothers and sisters. He's one of us. He's nothing special. This man's a common day laborer, right? He's a builder. Uh, we say carpenter here. He's a tecton. He's a builder. He probably worked with stone and with wood. Uh, he's not a, a learned man. He's not a scribe or a Pharisee. He's wearing like regular people clothes. He's not wearing those religious robes. Uh, he's too familiar. We all know Him. We grew up with Him. We saw Him when He was being stupid in third grade and set the, the desk on fire. I mean, we, we know this kid, right? Um, and I think we, um, we get offended in a similar way. Um, we say, ah, yeah, Jesus, um, some cool ideas but he's just so ordinary. You know what? Uh, I know this story. I grew up in the church. I've heard it all before. And so, uh, at this stage of my life, I need something new, right? I need something that I didn't learn as a kid because that's just too familiar and simple for me. It's too ordinary. Boy, yeah, if there was like an amazing, great speaker, but it's just like these regular people that I know that are asking me to church. It's just these regular, ordinary Christians, and I know them, and I know they're not perfect. And I can tell you some of the dumb stuff they did in high school because I've been around since then. And you know what? Maybe it's just all a little bit too easy. Maybe it's all just a little bit too simple. And you know what? I need something a little more sophisticated for my salvation. And we just get offended by Jesus. Uh, one of my uh, favorite stories in Second Kings is the story of Naaman the Syrian. So, um, short Context, Naaman is a general for a a foreign nation, the nation of Aram or Syria, and uh, they are uh, antagonistic towards Israel at this time, to the northern kingdom of Israel, Um, but Naaman has leprosy, and he hears that there's a prophet in Israel who can cure people of leprosy. So, Naaman leaves his country, he gets a letter from his king, he goes to the king of Israel with his letter, and the letter says, you know, please heal my favorite general, and the king freaks out. Right? Like, I don't have the ability to do this. He rips his clothes as a sign of grief, and he thinks, hey, this is going to be Causus Belli. Right? We're going to end up going to war with Aram over this stupid guy and his leprosy because how am I supposed to fix this? And then Elisha hears that this guy Naaman has come to court, and Elisha says, stop freaking out. Just send him to me. I'll take care of it. Oh, God will take care of it through me. So, Naaman goes to meet Elisha. He comes with servants and all this wealth and stuff. And he's ready to pay any price and accomplish any task, to, to go through any ordeal or any trial that he might be asked to go into and do. And in the midst of his preparations, Elijah says, hey, go take a wash in the Jordan River. And Naaman's like, are, are you kidding me? Like, I was going to do all these amazing things. I was, gonna, I was ready to, to climb any mountain. I was ready to, to fight any enemy. You want me to take a bath? Like, I got rivers in my country that are just as good as your rivers. Like, this is stupid. And Naaman takes offense, and he leaves. And as he's traveling home, in his indignation, in his offended heart, his servants look to him and say, hey, you know what? If, if he had asked you to do something really hard, you would have done it, right? If he had asked you to pay all that money you brought with you, you would have paid it, right? Why don't you just jump in the river, man? Like, what's the big deal? Naaman changes his mind and his heart. He goes and he washes in the river and he emerges clean, and it changes his life. And I come back to that story of Naaman so often because I think, boy, I get offended so easily. I get offended so easily, sometimes even about the things of faith. Boy, that was a great sermon, but there was that one line that just stuck with me that bugs me, and so, I I just… I can't get past it. That's the one thing I can remember. Boy, it was a good conversation with my spouse, uh, but there was that one detail that I got right and she didn't, and until she gets it right, we are not moving forward. Boy, I really want to honor my father and my mother, but you know what? Uh, They just aren't listening to me, and so they don't get it, and so I can't. And we we just harbor these hurts, and we find excuses to be offended with each other and with God. We had a whole six-week class on the power of an unoffendable heart because it's such a critical concept in the story of the gospel. If we are offended by Jesus, it is an excuse to not have to come to know Him, as being offended by my family is an excuse not to have to reconcile or to admit my fault. The scandal of the gospel is it is offensive. This is almost too easy. It's almost too ordinary. You don't have to climb a mountain. You don't have to pay a fortune. You just trust in this man, Jesus, and He takes care of all the rest. And yet sometimes that simplicity itself is all the offense we need to fall away from Him. So, uh, in this process of of falling away from Jesus… Um, We can ask bad questions to avoid the conversation. We can get offended. We can be scandalized to avoid having to change. Uh, And then finally, we get to the end result of that journey. We get to this idea of unbelief. Jesus says, uh, rather Mark says, Jesus could do no deed of power there except that He laid His hands on a few sick people and cured them, and He was amazed at their unbelief. Unbelief is a really important idea in the Bible. Unbelief is not doubt, okay? Uh, doubt is having questions. Unbelief is a decision uh, to not trust. I actually have uh, one more trust fall video for you. This is also from my friends, One Time Blind. We, I showed this, uh, a different video of theirs last week. Uh, and uh, one of these figures, again, is going to be Jesus. And we're going to talk about what it means to trust in Him.
2: Jesus, I just don't trust you. You don't trust me? No, I mean, I want to trust you. I just don't.
0: <laughs> I have an
1: exercise that I think will really help you. Oh,
2: okay. Stand yes. here
1: and face this direction. Mm-hmm. Now, do you trust me? Uh,
2: no. I just said I don't trust you.
1: Right. Well, this is all part of the exercise. Oh, all right. Okay. Whenever I ask you if you trust me, you say, Yes, Jesus, I trust you.
2: Even though I don't. It's practice. Okay.
1: So, do you trust me? <laughs>
2: yes, Jesus. I trust you.
1: Now, fall back.
2: Are you going to catch me?
1: Don't worry about that Okay,
2: that's the part I'm worried about.
1: (laughs) You can do this, okay? Just trust me. Trust you. Fall back.
2: Okay, well, Jesus, I
1: trust you.
2: Yes, I do trust you. I'm going
1: to fall back. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Let's try this again. Just face this direction and keep your feet planted, all right? Do you trust me?
2: Yes, Jesus, I trust you. Now, fall back. OK, I'm going to do it. All right. I'm really going to do it. Okay. Good. Ah! Oh, Jesus, you really caught me! I didn't think you were going to catch me, but you did! Oh, that was I great! Think that was great! You're ready for level two! Level two, here yes. I come, baby! Woo! Oh! <laughs> hold it. Oh, you know what? You're too close. You need to move back.
1: Ah, right. OK. <laughs> This one's a little bit different, Laura. Oh, okay. Uh, stand here. Uh huh. But face me.
2: Woo! Oh, forward fall. Okay. I can do that. Wait. Whoa.
1: Okay. Um. Wait for my signal.
2: Oh right, the Jesus signal.
1: Yes, the okay. Jesus signal. Do you trust me?
2: Yes, Jesus, I trust you so much.
1: Good. Fall back.
2: <laughs> That's awesome. It is
1: awesome. Especially when you do it.
2: Uh, seriously? Of course. Okay, Jesus. I don't know if you notice this, but there is nobody over there.
1: I know it looks that way to you. It
2: looks that way. It is that way.
1: You can do this, Laura. Just trust me and fall back.
2: Jesus, I can't do that. We can do it together. I can't. You
1: can. I won't.
0: A couple things I want you to notice in that video. The first one... Uh, is that uh, doubt and unbelief are different things? Uh, doubt is a great part of our Christian faith. If you never doubt, then you're not thinking deeply about who you are or who Christ is or what it means to follow Him. Doubt is, hey Jesus, there's no one back there, right? Doubt is, uh, are you going to catch me? That's the part that I'm worried about, right? Doubt is a conversation with God, where we bring our fears and our insecurities and all of that stuff to Him and say, hey, I need your help in this, like. You got to do more for me. Unbelief is when we go from I can't to I won't. Unbelief is that moment when we say, hey, uh, I'm going to walk away from you and away from this conversation. Uh, By the way, um, we began by talking about falling away from God, and and actually, that wasn't the best metaphor um, because we never fall away from God. It doesn't happen as an accident, we walk away from God, it's always a choice. Faith is a decision, and unbelief is a decision too. And, and this is um, such a critical idea for us because um, we often think, well, you know what, um, if I doubt, I'm doing something wrong. No, as long as you're doubting, you're doing it right. It's when you choose to walk away, when you choose unbelief, uh, that you cement your separation from Jesus in order to keep living the way you've always lived. It's interesting that we're told in this passage, Jesus is unable to do miracles in Nazareth. Uh, I've always wondered, what does that mean, unable? I mean, it's Jesus, right? Who's going to stop him? Uh, And and I think there are maybe two parts to this. Um, There is this ongoing connection between our trust in Jesus and his willingness uh, to do miraculous things for us, right? That Jesus, most of the time in the Gospels, connects faith uh, to God's miraculous intervention. But I also think maybe there's an even more basic component of what's happening in Nazareth. Maybe um, people don't believe in Jesus, so they don't bring their sick people to Him, right? They don't believe in Jesus, so they don't bring the lepers and the lame and the blind people in their community for Jesus to heal them. And because they're not coming to Him, He's not laying hands on them. Um, It's all this process of just walking away, One other really striking thing for me in this moment, we're told that Jesus is amazed at their unbelief. What does it take to amaze God? I mean, you know, this is the guy who made the sun, the moon, and the stars and started the universe and created life and knows every hair on our heads. And and somehow our unbelief amazes Him. Uh, I, I do believe that in this moment... We are supposed to read this entire story as a metaphor for Jesus' experience with Israel generally, right? That that God who came uh, through uh, a covenant with Abraham and a covenant with Moses and a covenant with David, God who has done all these amazing things for 1,500 years since the time of Moses, preparing Israel for the arrival of Himself. God has shown up in the flesh. These are like, Israel is like His hometown, right? They're the, the people that grew up knowing His story, and when He shows up in the flesh, most of them don't believe. And I think as shocking as that is for us, uh, that, that the people prepared for God could not be ready when God shows up, Uh, sometimes we're those people. Sometimes we're the people who say, hey, I have had every opportunity to follow God. I have even chosen to trust God. In some moments of my life, I've leaned back and He's caught me and it was amazing. And I was like on cloud nine. Yay, Jesus. Yay, Jesus. I trust you so much. But then I got to a bridge too far, right? A moment where I said, you know, Jesus, I don't trust you that much. Jesus, if that's what you want from me, I'm not going to fall away from you. I'm going to walk away from you. This is the the sad trajectory of this story. Uh, It's a series of bad questions uh, and offended hearts that lead to walking away from God, that lead to this unbelief. The good news of this story, uh, actually there's There's two parts to it. Uh, The first part of good news is that we are not the people of Nazareth. First part of the good news is that we know who Jesus is and what He's done for us, and we have the opportunity to respond differently. We can respond with good questions. We can say, Jesus, what does this mean for me in my life? How am I going to live differently knowing what You've done for me today? And and Jesus, um, how do I let myself be unoffendable um, because I'm so in love with your story uh, that that who you are is more important than who I thought you were supposed to be. And and how do we say, Jesus, I'm going to trust you even when I don't understand, even when not all my doubts are completely answered. I'm going to bring them to you, and I'm going to trust that you can handle the stuff that I can't. That, that when we do all that, we get to be Jesus' mother and brothers and sister. We get to be his family because we want his will to be done in our lives and in our world. The other piece of good news here um, is a question. I think it's a good question. Why does Jesus go to Nazareth? It's Jesus, he knows what's going to happen. Jesus knows that He's not going to have a warm reception. Jesus knows that when He gets there, His friends and family are going to poo-poo on Him, and they're going to say, oh, you're nothing special, and they're going to be offended by Him. He knows it's not going to be His most successful. Why does Jesus go to Nazareth? I think part of the answer is He just won't give up on us. That this is the character of Jesus and the character of God. God will not give up on us. This is the story of the God of from the whole Old Testament to the New Testament to today. God keeps showing up. He will not stop. Even when we walk away, He remains faithful and constant. One of my uh, favorite songs um, is a song by Rich Mullins called Surely God is with Us. I'm not going to sing it for you. Um, I, which makes you sad. Um, but I just, I just want to read it to you um, because I think it captures this incredible inflection point uh, where we are asked if we will ask good or bad questions, if we will be offended or unoffendable, if we will have faith or unbelief, uh, and what happens next. Rich says, well, who's that man? Says he's a prophet. I wonder if he's got something up his sleeve. Where's he from? Who is his daddy? There's rumors he even thinks himself a king, of a kingdom of paupers, simpletons, and rogues. The whores all seem to love him, and the drunks propose a toast, and they say, Surely God is with us. Surely God is with us. Surely God is with us today." Who's that man? Says he's a preacher. Well, he must be. He's disturbing all our peace. Where does he get off? What is he hiding? Every word he says, those fools believe. Who could move a mountain? Who could love their enemies? Who could rejoice in pain and turn the other cheek and still say, surely God is with us? Surely God is with us. Surely God is with us today. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Heaven belongs to them. Blessed are those who make peace. They are God's children. I am the bread of life. I am the way. You hear that man? Believe what he said. Tell me, who's that man? They made him a prisoner, tortured him, and nailed him to a tree. Was he so bad? Who did he threaten? Did he deserve to die between two thieves? see the scars and touch His wounds, His risen flesh and bone. Now sinners have become the saints and the lost have all come home. And they say, surely God is with us, surely God is with us, surely God is with us today. Today is the day that we claim that God is with us in Christ. Today is a day for us to move past bad questions and offended hearts to turn back from our unbelief and discover that in Christ, God is still with us. Thanks be to Him. Amen.